0: Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and on today's episode, we'll look back at United's late Europa League win in midweek and look ahead to the fascinating fixture as United host Newcastle in the Premier League this weekend. In a week of standout solo performances, it's time to see if Samuel Lutkurs can emulate Francis Zouho and (laughs) single-handedly guide this podcast until the very end. Samuel, you were there at Old Trafford last night to watch United. Win late on against Omania. Nicosia, Scott McTominay scoring in injury time. Firstly, before we get onto the game,
1: how are you doing? I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you. I, I was expecting an intro to coincide with the news about the Chancellor of Exchequer falling on his sword after about 30-odd days. But I think it's only right that that Francis Zuhu, uh gets gets all the acclaim. Uh, it would, at, at the risk of trying to um, turn that charming smile of his into a frown, the majority of his saves were were savable. I mean, United's finishing was was feckless. It was it was a bit like the Oscar Wilde quote um, of, you know, to paraphrase him, to to, to struggle to victory once against Ammonia, maybe a misfortune, but twice seems like carelessness. And they were extremely careless last night. They had umpteen chances to win the game very, very comfortably. And I suppose that will be the thing that nags at Ten Hag in the He'd seen that film before, really, from United. The first half was almost a carbon copy and, and should have been because Ammonia had that great chance on the breakaway. But uh, Bruno, the Bruno of, of Ammonia, of course, uh, was was far too selfish when he should have squared it. And had he done that, they might have gone gone in half-time 1-0 up again against United. So uh, Ammonia were made to look hell of a lot more resilient than they actually are just because United against two of two of their goalkeepers as well. I mean, clearly Nicosia is this unknown hotbed of of goalkeeping talent. But um Zuho had a had a hell of a night. I think he ended up making a dozen saves before McTomney finally breached him. But uh, fairness to him, it you know you could it was he, he was very, very happy afterwards. <laughs> he wanted to be in the press conference. You couldn't wipe the smile off his face. He asked to have a picture with Eric Ten Hag as well, so it was it was quite charming. And as as I reflect in my my match piece, it might as well have been the headline as well because it was such a it was such a Europa League game in so many ways. But United have this penchant of um, signing goalkeepers who have a good game against them in, in recent histories. As I think you've alluded to, <laughs> that's, that that their scu- scouting for a backup keeper pretty much amounts to have you had a good game against Man United. And in the case of Lee Grant, Tom Heaton, and Martin Dubravka, they all have, and they've all ended up joining the club. So maybe, maybe in a couple of years' time or a few years' time, Zuho will be in the uh, the United goalkeeping department. Um, strange things happened. It does
0: make you wonder how FC Sheriff beat them 3-0 away from home if Manchester United struggled against them twice in the manner that they did. Uh, yeah, I guess i say that Azuho. It, it does remind you of those games Heaton used to have against United almost annually. And like you say, you have the Grant game as well. there's, there's been so many keepers who have up their game when they make a, a trip to Old Trafford. So yeah, you know, I think from United fans, fans point of view, they, they won't begrudge him for having you know a, a day to remember, but like you said, it was more so United's poor finishing on a night that that did cost them. in terms of the actual performance in Samuel, it was we knew there was gonna be maybe an element of surprise in Ten Hag's lineup that the surprise would be he's going to go full strength. And he obviously is approaching Europa League with an idea of trying to win the group now because they want to avoid this playoff game. But it means United's lineups aren't really as exciting as they could be. The Europa League's always built as a competition where fringe players, youth players can get their chance. United's put in their reserve players, the backup players haven't been playing very much.
1: But the quality drop-off did show, didn't it? It did. Uh, going back three years ago, when they started their group stage against Astana, even though it's the Europa League, I, there was there was quite a lot of interest around it because of some of the selections and that Tunzebi came in for a start. And I think a lot of fans have been waiting for that. Uh, I think Chong and Gomez started. And of course, the the match winner that evening was was Mason Greenwood, of uh, whom around there was a hell of a lot of fanfare at that time with Ten Hag. I, I can't blame them for treating the Europa League seriously. Uh, it's, it's completely understandable. It presents a good opportunity for United to to win their trophy drought. And it's a pity for them that that, that first game against Sociedad, it was, it was a pretty flat performance and it was a flat evening and it was a flat defeat. And that could end up costing them because Sociedad don't look like letting up uh, with, with the other fixtures they have before they play against United in San Sebastian in three weeks. But it will be a concern to Ten Hag that, as as you say, he is playing some extremely strong teams and I I think maybe looking at the game last night, the only area where you weren't completely certain of who his personnel would be was was in midfield because there had to come a point where Ericsson was rested. I think a lot of people probably had Notomini down to start because he was suspended for the weekend. Maybe Milosic at left back was the only real surprise, but the front four—I think everybody knew—it was going to be that front four that ended the first half against Everton on Sunday. And as I said, when you, when you have all those opportunities and you can't score um, against a team who are very very porous, then that's that's something to be to, to be assessed. And I suppose the, the advantage is that they've won these games, and Ten Hag has already said after the, the city game you know, thank you pep for the lesson you taught us and he is as, as strange as it sounds there is an element of him still learning on the job even though he's a 52 year old coach who's coached one of the biggest clubs in in europe in ajax and he's, he's clearly united manager material but there are slight lessons he's learned along the way and going back to the first game of the season not making a half-time change against brighton now in the last four games a substitute has scored in every one of those games for United, and the last three wins have been scored by substitutes as well. So Ten Hag is having a big impact on games with his with his in-game management. Three of the subs combined for the goal last night, uh, which again reflects really well on him. He's very decisive and proactive w- with his decision making on uh, swapping personnel. And and the four players that he was able to bring on, it's it's a pretty enviable quartet when when you're trying to chase the game and. I suppose, the least likely to score in a way, or the least likely of the attackers, um, given how, how proactive Shaw can be, is the one who ended up getting the goal. And you, you've got to admire McTominay because it, probably three minutes earlier, he had that shot where it was a it was a conversion. It was endangering spectators in the scoreboard end. And a lot of fans left. That was their cue to go because they'd had enough. It was just one of those nights, it seemed like. But he still got that, mentality to keep on going and he has the right attitude to actually put himself in the area and get in the right position to to score the winning goal and he, and he got it. So Ten Hag wanted to reflect that afterwards, but it, it should have been so much more comfortable and, and even against Everton, where again, I, I think the first half was the best performance under Ten Hag for United. They could have made that a lot more comfortable. They weren't clinical or ruthless enough in the second half when there were openings on the breakaway. And that ruthless streak in them, he's still not drummed that into them yet. You look at the Premier League table, Brentford, Brighton, um, Fulham and Newcastle have all scored more goals than United so far. So there has got to come a point where they do start to cut loose in games and they do regain that ruthlessness um, that that served, obviously, the the great teams under, under Sir Alex Ferguson so well and it is a work in progress with, with Ten Hag, but the, the, with the two games against Ammonia, it was, I mean, was, last night was much more of a surprise than the first leg because you thought, okay, away from home, you co- you come through it, it was it was a bit edgy in places just because they didn't take enough chances, but for them to have been as profligate, if not more profligate, in fact, I think they had more attempts overall, um, it's, it's something that he will hope uh, is not mm-hmm. repeated in the upcoming league games
0: exactly again it is another warning sign about how clinically united need to be and it does make maybe analyzing the result a bit there's there's mitigation to it, isn't it? because on another night united if they do score early the floodgates maybe do open the keeper loses mm-hmm. a bit of confidence the strikers feel a bit more confident and you know it could been a 3-0, or 4-0 game, but it, it wasn't, and that's the fact at the end of the day. But in terms of United's wastefulness in front of goal, and Samuel, do you see that as a problem because they still struggle to break down teams who sit back and their goals in recent weeks? Lots of those have come on the counter-attack, winning the ball, high up, sometimes in midfield, you think of the Anthony goal at Everton, or do you think it's because the strikers just aren't clinical enough? It's
1: an those interesting theory. On. No, it's an interesting, it's an interesting theory that in that maybe where they've got more time or where where the process of getting to the chance comes, um, if if it is actually them breaking down a team that the, the forwards aren't used to that. I, I, I mean, be interested to even ask Ten Hag on that. But at the start of the season, I think we all looked at the attacking department and we thought there weren't enough proven goal scorers in there. And I think Rashford, you have to give the benefit of the doubt at the moment because he did score twice against Ammonia last week. He certainly should have had a goal against Everton, but for the peculiar phraseology of the handball rule. But you could see him getting wound up with himself uh, against Ammonia on Thursday night, especially that, that chance in the second half where he placed it quite away way wide and he was so... Exasperated, He went to get the ball and try and restart the game quickly. And then it was, he was taken aback to discover that the referee had somehow given a corner. Um, and, and Rashford's got as many goals as he got last season. Last season was his, as we've said before, it was his Anders Riblis. So he's made a pretty reasonable, decent start this season. And the way it's going, it looks like he will get uh, into the England World Cup squad as well. But with the others, Elanga hasn't scored since February. Anthony has got a very impressive goal-scoring record in the Premier League. But the caveat is, and it was getting discussed before the game last night, his performance level has has been pretty low so far for Mm. United. Apart from Everton away, I'd say. Everton away was comfortably his best performance. But simultaneously, it's difficult to argue when the players scored uh, and is the only United player to have scored in their first three Premier League appearances. They do miss Marshall when he's not playing, which reflects terrifically on Martial, given what a dreadful season he had and a dreadful time he had at United last season. Ronaldo is the only one that you would say is absolutely dependable for goal scoring, but he started the majority of the games this season on the bench, and he's only got two goals. And, OK, Sancho's got a few key goals, but he's certainly gone off the ball of late. And similarly to Anthony, his performance level, even when he was scoring quite consistently in, in August and September, his performance level was not it was it was you know substandard i would say at times and goals were masking his overall performances fernandez has only got one goal this season as well and i thought he was very lucky to to see out the game last night i mean he's i think ten Hag is probably reluctant to um deprive united of of another captain and and fernandez certainly has leadership qualities and he has had a couple of decent performances this season, but he's also had some dreadful performances this season. And there, there will have to come a time where Ten Hag has to contemplate or certainly trial a, a different midfield three, uh, possibly pushing Eriksen further forward. But the flip side is Eriksen has adapted and slots in very, very well to that deep-lying um, playmaking role, if you like, that Ten Hag probably intended for Franky de Jong to occupy. So the the, the calibre of the Fortune have got is good but this is a season where they need to have an element of achievement in it and okay qualifying for the Champions League a lot of fans won't see that as an achievement but that would be a forward step that would represent a progressive season and they can't just rely on 1-0 wins, they've eaten out a couple of 1-0 wins already or a couple of one-goal wins in the Premier League, they've not really had an outright comfortable victory yet in the league. The only one all season was probably in, in Moldova against Sheriff. So they could really do with you know, regaining that knack of getting games won with, with half an hour to go. I mean, Ten Hag still made changes last night, I think, with an element of... with with Newcastle in mind on Sunday, but also he did need to energise it. I thought his changes were completely correct in that Casemiro, he did need a bit of a breather towards the end and it, it was logical to have someone fresher to go on. Melassio was stagnant again and his confidence has been dented. Anthony wasn't direct enough, and Sancho and Shaw combined very well down the left. Ericsson is is always um someone you're you're bound to turn to when you're in need of a goal because he's he's very good at picking the lock. So he's he's got the options there. And as you said, this this next period coming up is going to be fascinating because the caliber of opposition gradually gets higher, you would argue. Um and and Everton was a decent outlier, but as, as Ten Hag has said himself, in pretty much every press conference, there's always room for improvement.
0: And again, another sort of reoccurring theme for United is that some of these results look can be okay in isolation, but it's about the stringer results that come up. United need to get that run of, of form coming together. Uh, again, just maybe a, a note as well: the, the reason United do need to win this this group in the Europa League is because if you finish second, you go into a third uh, a playoff round to get to the knockout stage, and United would be playing against a team who finished third in the Champions League group stages. And at the moment in time, United could end up facing Ajax, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Sporting Lisbon, Milan or Juventus. They are all in that third place. Of the Did Champions you say League
1: Sevilla group. as well there? I think Sevilla I is third as well.
0: As well, yeah, that's seven of the, of the eight there then. I mean, it's, it's, it's
1: enough to make you want United to finish second, yeah. really. I mean, there, there'd be a sense of occasion about almost uh, all of those, those, those yeah. catching ties. yeah.
0: Like I said, the, the lesser teams, as we say, would be an Ajax reunion with, for Ten Hag, Ronaldo back to Sporting, uh, Milan, you know, we saw that in the Europa League a couple of seasons ago, Juve, fascinating tie, two teams who were underachieving in, in this season particularly. It's... Be really Popper interesting to at, see.
1: Popper back at Old Trafford or Franky De Jong. It Old in the Europa League if it's Barcelona. Yeah, what
0: more could you want, eh? Um, but I guess another important subject that you touched upon it there by saying Pogba and Franky De Jong is we we're doing our selector for the Newcastle game this week United's midfield options. When you take one of those players out through. Like this case, McTominay suspended this weekend, but if someone's not fit, United are still very low on midfield options, aren't they? And I guess that adds to the problem about their over-reliance on Ericsson and the fact that Fernandez, you know, in an ideal world would be dropped once in a while, but there isn't really, I can't, well, I can't see any other alternative than, than playing Ericsson and Fernandez basically every week at the moment, because there just doesn't seem to be any other option to choose. And you mentioned there that you could put Ericsson higher up the pitch. But then that means Casemiro and McTominay, Casemiro and Fred. There's
1: nothing too convincing or unanimous, is there, as an alternative? There's certainly going to be a case come the summer for them to sign another midfielder of, of some variety, maybe a bit more attack-minded, uh, as, as they've got Casemiro as the, as the defensive shield there. and. and Clearly, Ten Hag likes to use McTominay in that role as well. I mean, he he, he was asked about this um, in the embargoed section, uh, which I think is is going to be uh, available to read now for 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 readers. Um, when he was asked about United midfield combinations and what what was his best one, did he know what his best one was? And he and Ten Hag said it's difficult to say in this moment, uh, but that he was happy with uh, the four of them, which would obviously be McTominay, Fred, Casemiro, and Ericsson. And he wants them to keep going this way. He was quite. He reserved a bit of praise for Fred last night, which you know he's he's not going to exactly castigate him. But I don't think many people saw a visible improvement from from him starting. And unfortunately for him, he, he missed an absolute sitter in the first half that might have made United tonight a lot more serene. Fred is a decent player. I think he's been a decent signing for United overall. He's he's always going to get a lot of flak um, if he doesn't play. To the standard that's expected and even when he came off last last night at one point you thought is 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 that sarcastic cheering I mean it was particularly um jubilant cheering for a substitution at nil nil deep into the second half and obviously Christian Eriksen is very popular with United fans and he's um he's shown what an important player he is and his presence is one of reassurance but I think there was an element of of Good, you know, we're seeing the back of Fred. He's not done anything tonight, and he is an easy target in a lot of ways. But you know, he's he's operated above his brief for a long time as well at United, and he's done relatively well. He was he was easily their third best player last season after De Gea and Ronaldo, and he does have merit as a squad player. Um, he, ten Hag has played him into trouble a couple of times this season, playing him as a as a defensive midfielder really against Brighton, and then as a number ten against Real Sociedad. United lost both of those games, but he is a player that Ten Hag has turned to um, in, in in recent games as, as a substitute. I think he came on in in Nicosia and and against Everton as well. He might have done or, or City, so he's he's one of those players that he is he has a tendency to turn to, um, whatever the occasion, what, whatever the scoreline at that time. But it is quite a thin department when you consider that there's nobody really. Making a compelling case to to force their way in from the academy, Iqbal had a good preseason. Looks a polished player, but we've we've not seen much of him. He'll he'll be training with the first team most weeks, but whether he's going to do enough to force his way into the reckoning and and um, get good opportunities, I've from... got to say that to, to go on for that point we saw last night. You fans
0: love Iqbal, they love Savage, they love Love Mainu's coming through. Like you said, I think all three of them are off it in terms of experience and and they're not quite ready for men's football but surely games like last night okay the result wasn't going their way but do you not just throw the players in and that gives you a bit of lenience anyway if the result doesn't end up because maybe it's just revisionism and hindsight but i swear when i used to grow up united used to always use the league cup and dead rubber group stage games okay this wasn't a dead rubber but as a chance to to put those younger players and fringe players in do you not feel there's been a missed opportunity in the Europa league that we've not seen more youngsters
1: I wouldn't say a missed opportunity as such. I mean, McNeil came on, was it against Sociedad, although that was due to a, a striker shortage as as Martial wasn't involved that night. I think Rashford was injured as well. Yeah. So it's needs must. Mass- there will probably come a point if if there hasn't been a proper breakthrough from the academy where you might start getting questions asked of Ten Hag and... Is, is he is he dedicated enough to the academy, which would be a surprise because he's come from a club who are as famed as, if not more than United for blood and talent and going to their academy. He's obviously under a hell of a lot more pressure and scrutiny at United. So that seniority is going to be a hell of a lot more important to him than the seniority was in Amsterdam, where it was do, I mean, it's Premier League rejects mainly, and Tadic and Daily Blind and David Classen Stephen Bergwine has gone to Ajax as well. Um, he transferred there from Tottenham in the summer. Uh, that's that's the level of seniority. The level of seniority at United is a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more diverse, and you've got you've got Ronaldo up front, and, and Fernandez is is the de facto captain at the moment. But I, I you know, it's, it was a pity that Reese Rhys Bennett wasn't on the bench. I mean, he could have been. They they were... And again,
0: on the ammonia game, there were two goalkeepers on the bench. The Pravka. get It just seems a waste, doesn't it? And I suppose from United's point of view and the supporters' point of view, that gives them a lift seeing someone, a youngster, who's
1: who's not had that chance, doesn't it? I, I completely agree. And from a journalistic perspective, those Thursday night games are enriched when you've got a couple of unknowns in the squad. Um, it, it, That that Crystal Palace game in, at the end of the 2016-17 season when Josh Harrop scored and uh, Joel Pereira was in goal and McTominay started and Angel Gomez came on. and, and Demi Matthew Mitchell. Come on, yeah. Demi Mitchell at left back. Uh, it was probably one of the more most uplifting days of United season and it was in a completely meaningless game. And that was because it was all about the academy and there is immense interest in the academy and they they won the Youth Cup last season. So you would hope between now and the end of the group stage, some have had some form of opportunities. But where United have gone more than five years without a trophy and where they're up against it to win this group, and Ten Hag has stressed the importance of winning this group and that has been echoed by, I think it was McTominay who spoke last night, they really want that free midweek in February. So I can see them not taking any chances against Sheriff because they've just scraped through against uh, against Ammonia twice. And then come the Dad game, when it's not exactly all to play for, but first place is there to play for, I, I suspect, it, again, it will be a, a very, very strong team. So his rotation has been somewhat compromised because under a different manager, there would have been more changes. And, and irrespective of whether United were going to finish first or second, I can... Recall Ferguson in 2004 um, just completely having no interest whatsoever in in winning the group and sending a load of kids out to, to Istanbul to play Fenerbahce and what was his name? He played for Middlesbrough, the striker. He scored a hat-trick, I think. I'm struggling to... The the, the name has escaped me. Uh, Turkish the, striker. Uh, Turkish striker. I'm going to have to Google it, but he, he did score... This people will be shouting out at home, won't they? Yeah, people are saying, What what the hell, you do? What the hell are you doing? Uh, was it Tunchai? Yeah, Tunchai, is- Tunchai. Yes, it was. Okay. Tunchai Sanley, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm,
0: I'm, when, when you speak of Middlesbrough strikers having good games against
1: United, I just think of Alfonso Alves. Exactly. Well, yeah, he got two games in that time. Uh, but it was Tunchai Sanley. He scored a hat trick against them. But the team that Ferguson picked, I think Jonathan Specter played in it. Chris Eagles uh, might have done as well. Just looking at the bench, you had David Jones, Paul McShane, Sylvani Banks-Blake. Uh, yeah, it's... I mean, it is a team. It's a who's it's really, who, isn't it? We cannot be bothered, really. Um, Eric Jemba Jemba must have made one of his last United starts as well that evening. And, it, you know, sometimes it can be the luck of the draw with those things. United won the group that time in 2012 and ended up drawing Real Madrid in the last 16 on that occasion when they couldn't be bothered to win the group and and Lyon won it um United end up drawing AC Milan who I mean were probably the, not probably they were the best team in Europe over a four year period and they won it twice and they absolutely outclassed United over those two legs so yeah it's it, it does i mean it says a lot about the Europa League that it has to incentivise itself yeah um even more we've had If you win it, you get in the Champions League. Then it's if you win it, you get in the Champions League as a top seed. And now it's if you win your group, you don't have another trip um, in the Europa League until March. So constantly they're trying to find new ways to make the competition appealing and to placate these teams that just don't want to be in it. And given that United have got two postponements already to contend with in the Premier League, two free midweeks in February is bound to appeal to ten hardy.
0: You it's back in action in the Premier League this weekend as well, Samuel. Newcastle at home, like you said, there are tougher tests on the near horizon, but Newcastle's a real fascinating one. They've had two good wins in the Premier League recently, one against Fulham and one yeah. against Brentford as well. Games that maybe didn't reflect the true nature of their dominance. I mean, the Fulham game was marred by an early red card for red Schalber. Card. Brentford game sort of just... There was a lot of goals in a short space of time, wasn't it? It sort of escalated the scoreline. But Newcastle... Against United, it does seem like a game that's pretty evenly matched, really. You know, Newcastle have their star players. So do United. There's the obvious, maybe Kieran Trippier storyline going into it, given United's need for a right back still. Bruno is Bruno Gemäres is one of the standout players in the Premier League this season. You know, Newcastle are a team looking to eventually take one of those top four spots, and United are one of the most vulnerable teams at losing their current place in Europe anyway this season, perhaps. So. What do you make of it? Do you think it will be an even contest? Do you think it's going to be a close
1: one? I certainly wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Newcastle were unrecognisable against United St. James's Park in, in December from the team that were easy pickings uh, for United in September under Steve Bruce. Uh, I mean, Eddie Howe, it would have been a travesty if he hadn't have got a Premier League club after he left Bournemouth. He had to wait a while, best part of 18 months, until... He was appointed by Newcastle, but he's done a very good job there. They have they bought pretty well in January. I mean, Trippier, he would have cost a hell of a lot more for United. I think everybody's aware of the circumstances of that. And by the time January, uh, the January window opened, Solskjaer had gone and United weren't inclined to spend money under a, an interim manager. Um, Guimaraes has been a bit of a revelation, really. I know that might sound disrespectful to Liga, but i suppose it, i suppose it's disrespectful to Liga because hardly anyone watches it over here because nobody really wants to watch uncompetitive sport where it's been, where it's been largely monopolized by psg in in the last decade but he has been a terrific sign the fact that you've already got this talk um as to wh- whether he'll he'll stay beyond this season or whether he might get transferred in january uh, is a reflection of the impact he's had on the team um How's also improved players who were falling by the wayside a bit. Sean Longstaff, um, once valued at 50 million by Newcastle, um, has been a, a regular in the team of late. They have got some mavericks, but that's almost um, an, an obligation when when you're at Newcastle. That's what's the that's what the fans thrive off up there, um, going, going as far back as Keegan and Ginela, Aspria. You know the, those that team in the 90s uh, during that brief period where they had players who the fans really could get behind. And even if they were there for a short period of time, they are they are cult figures up there. And some Maximan certainly falls into that category. And he had a terrific game against United in December. He gave Rafael Varane a very, very difficult yeah. time. Uh, their position at the moment does flatter them. They're they're sixth. I think they're a point behind United and they've, they've played a game more due to United's postponement against Leeds. I'd be amazed if come May they're in the conversation to force their way into the into Europe. They they didn't buy as much as I think people might have expected in the summer. They they obviously invested heavily in January because they they wanted to ensure that they actually stayed up, and it's been a lot more um, a lot more measured since then. And it was interesting what their sporting director Dan Ashworth was saying this week, and that although they've got immense backing from um, the, the Saudis and you know let's let's face it Newcastle are a sports washing team we, we can't you know ignore that at all and th- there's nothing really to celebrate um or, or or be impressed by in that sense but on the footballing side they have recruited well they've got good people in the right positions Ashworth has done some brilliant work in his career with with the FA and with Brighton uh how was was brilliant at Bournemouth for four or five years in the Premier League. Before that, he obviously got them promoted. So they've made some very considered and shrewd choices on uh, some very key positions. But I think with FFP, with the competitiveness in the Premier League, I don't think they can do what City did in that they had a takeover and four years, less than four years later, they were champions. Chelsea had a takeover. And less than two years later, they became champions. It's it's a lot trickier to do now because of financial restrictions, and um, yeah, as, as the, and that that has been reflected by Newcastle spending in the summer, in that it wasn't they weren't just signing players for the sake of it. It had to be profile players of profile that fit their needs, and that's why in the end they they signed Nick Pope rather than Dean Henderson because. They wanted someone on a permanent basis uh, for the long-term. Henderson might have been a, or probably would have been a short-term um, season-long loan. And then in a year's time, they'd have found themselves in the same situation mm. coming to get a long-term goalkeeper again, at least with Nick Pope. They've got someone who will probably get an England squad ahead of Henderson for the World Cup. And I think they could easily get five years good service out of a keeper who has been Premier League quality for five years as it is. So he's he's got the longevity to offer them. And he's also kind of renowned for his longevity in the Premier League as it is. So, I mean, Pope was a much more suitable keeper in that sense for, for a team that wanted someone permanent.
0: Newcastle will be out without John Joe Shelby and Alexander Isaac this weekend. Um United's record against Newcastle. Very impressive, Samuel. They've lost just one of their last 37 home league games against Newcastle. That was one 2013. Place. David Moyes. So, you know, United at home to Newcastle is usually a bit, a bit of a fortress. Uh, Marcus Rashford has a good record against them. It sounds like something that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would use to justify a start, really, doesn't it? He's got seven <laughs> goals in eight Premier League appearances against them, only against Arsenal, as he had more. But one stat here that did... Uh, jump out to me, is United have had 99 shots in their eight Premier League games so far this season, uh, averaging 12.4 shots per game. That is their lowest in a single campaign since 2015-16. Meanwhile, they have faced 121 shots so far, meaning they face an average of 15 shots on their own goal per game, which is the highest since Opta's records have ever begun. And that says it all, doesn't it? United's defensive frailties are still there, even though, okay, we've not seen Casemiro that much, but United are still very easy to play for, aren't they? And that's why the midfield battle is
1: is so crucial this weekend. Yeah, uh, I'm not too surprised by the the shot statistic because, as we just discussed earlier, they've th- there are issues with the attack, and maybe they'll get the, the kinks will be ironed out as the season progresses. But you you would not hang your hat on many of those players getting. 20 goals a season, and, and Ten Hag was also asked about that in his embargoed section. Did he think that he had the players to get to 20 goals a season? He did talk them up, but then he did say the defenders and the midfielders need to chip in as well. And sometimes that works out better. In, in 0607, I think Ronaldo and Rooney were the only got mm-hmm. only players who broke the 20 goal barrier. They they both ended that season with 23 goals. And United had a ridiculous number of goal scorers that season. I think they must have been pushing 20 players who had scored. Uh, you, you've got the odd anomaly, like Kieran Lee getting a goal against Alexander in the in the League Cup. But I think just about every outfield player got a goal apart from, from Gary Neville. And I remember Ferguson saying at the time that they would been used, joking with Neville that Edwin van der Sar was likelier to score um, than him because everyone else had scored at that point. So that that would be handy. That would be um, th- that would probably be preferable for United because as I said I don't I don't think that they've got enough reliable goal up front, and mm. they've won a lot of games so far by the odd goal. It was two one against Liverpool and Everton. It was one nil against uh, Leicester and, um, and and Southampton. The Arsenal game. I mean, Arsenal played pretty well at United, but they ended up losing three one, and there was yeah I mean all those goals were counterattacks so sometimes that that masks the um that that doesn't give a fair reflection to the scoreline. line but i don't really see these next three games as being exercises in you know cutting loose or um trying to deal out thrashings i mean newcastle have looked quite a very well organized team and much much more difficult team uh, to get through than than they were in the first half of last season most certainly and you know, that's that's credit to to Howe and and the personnel that he's brought in, and he has made certain signings that have made that have had a transformative impact on that team. But I think for the next month or the next four weeks until the World Cup um, intervenes and the season shuts down, that the what takes precedent is is getting points on the board, and United have made a decent. I think they've had a decent first uh, first couple of months under Ten Hag, in the although they've had some dreadful. Thrashings. they've also had some a couple of pretty good results and they're fifth at this stage which is 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 reasonable going i, I wouldn't be surprised if they end the season um, in in fifth either i think a lot of people have kind of had them down as as, as ending up in that position but as far as this weekend is concerned uh, it, it is getting to the point where i think that they they just they, this is not the period for them to be you know, I think substance has to come over style yeah. and that might be the case right up until the the Fulham game which is their last game before the World Cup um, starts because they, they need to be in a good position then and have the security and have you not know, momentum as such because it's going to be impossible to sustain it when there's a six-week gap but be able to restart the season on Boxing Day where you're not looking up at too many in the table and you're not feeling the pressure of having to Again, put points on the board as soon as possible because if they're in a position where they have got a good number of points banked already, they can start to try and implement the style um, that Ten Hag the wants them to. But this month is such a hectic month, and the caliber of opposition is, is is quite high over the next week with with three top six teams that yeah, results have to take the priority.
0: Yeah, it's all about consequentialism, really, isn't it? The ends justify the means of, of how they get there. As long as they win games, who really cares how they happen at this stage because we're still so early in the rebuild and you can put the, the fine-tuning to it later down the down the road, really. It is all about, like you say, getting those points on the board. Of course, uh, from the embargo section as well, it's just been lifted up before we re- record this. Is Anthony Marshall could be back as well. Does that influence your team selection for the weekend, Samuel? Would you put him in there, or do you think that, you know? given his injury record already this season, that
1: even if he is match, it doesn't mean he should start necessarily. I, I'd probably look to have him ready to start against Tottenham uh, than the Newcastle. Newcastle's a game where, the, I mean, Newcastle will be playing a back four and it's it's more of an element of patience about that. Whereas against Tottenham, I think you're going to need a bit more movement up top, especially where you're up against three centre-backs and, that that might be the game that ronaldo comes out of the irony of course is that he scored a hat trick against tottenham last season and uh, you you can all easily look foolish for for under, underestimating him but it's pretty clear that marshall has been i mean he's has been very very bristle this season um and he has he has been for a while as as I said the other day he he missed the last two or three months of of, of the 2020 21 season um, it's it's easily forgotten so Uh, I think it's a bit much to get him back into the team to start on Sunday when he didn't train on Wednesday. He wouldn't have really trained on Thursday. So two training sessions at the very most before um, a Sunday game. I think it would be much better for him and for United to ease him back in, look at him as an option off the bench where he's done. He's had a profound impact as a substitute uh, every time he's come on this season. And he could be the he could be the game changer on Sunday, in that role, and then look to maybe start him against Chelsea, um, and and before that Tottenham next week.
0: So in terms of maybe I'm not going to ask you for a specific score prediction, but in terms of some confidence of this weekend, you know, have won three on the bounce across all competitions. Like you said, this is a a game that could propel them up the table. Certainly, don't want to be losing it to a team who are just one point behind you, having played the game more, but. Are you confident United will be able to to ride the storm and, and get over the line against Newcastle?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I I do think they'll they'll win this. Uh, but as I said earlier, I don't really see them winning it at Canter. I think it would be a bit of a surprise if Newcastle regressed to the level they were at when they went to Old Trafford last season. And as I said, they were they were easy pickings and United picked them off. Although even that day, Newcastle had a decent. A number of counter attacking opportunities that they they botched and that was a, another sign at the time that you know things was were about to unravel under Solskjaer for United um but Newcastle as i said i think i think their position flatters them a little bit and um United have got a good record against them Eriksen will come back into the team Varane will probably come back into the team as well If Marshall's on the bench, that's a really good option to have to send on. Sancho looked a lot more energetic coming off the bench as well. So I think they'll just have too much for Newcastle on Sunday. And we shall see what happens on
0: Sunday afternoon. Myself and Simon will be there at Old Trafford. You can follow the game live on the Manchester News website. We'll be live on Facebook for the game as well to give you a preview. And we'll bring you all the match build-up as well across the weekend on the MEN website. So... Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. And thank you very much wherever you are in the world. Of course, we will be back again early next week to look back on what happened against Newcastle this weekend and look ahead to that game against Tottenham next midweek. Take care wherever you are. Please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. I will see you again next time.